Our passage for the sermon today is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. We'll start simply by reading the passage together. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now let's pray together and ask for God's uh, illumination to this text. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we come to it humbly, knowing that on our own, the best we can hope to do is just understand the logic of what it says. Uh, But I I ask that your spirit would do much more than that through your word, that, that you would open us up and that you would reveal anything in us that needs to be changed, that you would evoke deeper faith in us, that you would bring about repentance in us where needed, that you would comfort us where needed, that you would energize us where needed. Let your word have its full effect in our hearts, both as individuals and as a church. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We're uh, getting back to Mark. Uh, Matt, I believe, preached out of uh, First or Second Chronicles last week. And um, so we're going to resume our study of Mark as we head into Advent this year. When we pick up our passage here in verse 13, so you can kind of picture it, Jesus is traveling toward Jerusalem. And he has his disciples, his closest followers alongside him, and probably some others who are maybe following as well, but especially his disciples. And he's headed to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be killed there for the sins of God's people. And so as they go, he's teaching his disciples. He has taught crowds, but now he's narrowing his focus to his disciples. And his main teaching is, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again from the dead. And the disciples are not understanding it. But along with that, he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about uh, the ways of God. So it's sort of, I don't know if you've ever been on an an intensive spiritual retreat of any sort uh, in which you got intensive Bible teaching and time away. It's kind of like that for these disciples, I would imagine. It's been like that for three years for them up to this point. And now it's this traveling uh, retreat with their mentor, Jesus, teaching them along the way. And different characters kind of come in and leave, but mainly it's between Jesus and his disciples. Sort of a traveling seminary intensive on their way to the cross. So here they are traveling with Jesus. These are the disciples, the, the elite ones. And all of a sudden, this group of children come and crash the party. So let's read verse 13. And they, just the people of the surrounding villages, they were bringing children to to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples 
rebuked them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of some serious adult thing, some serious discussion or conversation, and then all of a sudden children barge in. It sort of changes the whole dynamic of everything immediately, doesn't it? Uh, Sometimes in a really good way, sometimes in perhaps a frustrating way. Um, The first example that came to my mind as I was preparing to preach this is when I am at my uh, coffee shop where I go sometimes to do my sermon work, um, usually it's at a time of day when there's very few people there and it's just very quiet. Um, But occasionally people will come in with hordes of children and it just changes everything. It's no longer a solemn, serious room of scripture study. It's now a jungle gym and a zoo and a playground, and it's loud and it's raucous. And even the best-behaved children are still children. So you can, you can maybe understand why the disciples were like, get these kids out of here. This is our time with Jesus. We're talking about serious stuff here. We're talking about the kingdom of God here. So the people are bringing children to Jesus, and the disciples have maybe a typical response, especially in their culture, of rebuking these people. Get these kids out of the way. We are serious men doing serious kingdom stuff. Now Jesus, seeing this, it says in the text, is indignant. Indignant. Now that's a word in English that I know means very, very angry. Um but I was sure it had some nuance to it. So I looked up the English word indignant and it, it just means you're very, very angry because something unfair is happening. Now the Greek is a little different, but that's the best English word we have to capture it. Jesus is very, very angry at how these disciples are treating these children and the people who are bringing the children to Jesus. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So he's very angry at his disciples. Have you ever had um, someone you look up to get angry at you, in disappointment with you? It's kind of a hard thing to bear. Maybe a teacher or a parent or anybody like that. The disciples now are... I'm sure, very quiet. They probably thought they were doing a very good thing in ridding their company of children, and now Jesus has rebuked them. So the question for us is, why did he get so indignant? Why was he so upset? Well, for one thing, if you recall, he had just told them to welcome children. Do you remember back in chapter 9, verses 36 through 37, he, he First, he taught them, I'm going to have to die. Then, the passage just after that, the disciples are arguing with each other for who's the greatest among them. And when Jesus is correcting them and teaching them about humility, he says, in verse 36, he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child... And put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And now we don't know how much time elapsed from that when Jesus says, 
Stop arguing over who's the greatest and receive little ones. Receive children. We don't know how much time elapsed from that moment to this moment when they're kicking kids out. But it wasn't that much time. So for one thing, Jesus is probably frustrated. I just told you the way to be great in the kingdom of God is to welcome the least, to welcome the last, to welcome people like these little children. And then here they are rejecting the children. So that's probably one reason he's upset. But he does go on to explain it further in the second part of verse 14. He says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now this is really significant. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now we need to make sure we understand what the kingdom of God is. It's a little mysterious It's not a concept I find easy to fully wrap my mind around. And I think from talking to some of you, that's probably the case for you as well. Um, One way to think about it is through the lens of our current political climate. You know, many of you, I'm sure, are just very frustrated at our current political climate and uh, kind of at a loss, maybe a little terrified. Um, There's a lot of unrest And to some degree or another, we kind of get like this every time another presidential election comes around. Sometimes we have candidates we're a little more enthusiastic about than other times. But whenever it comes about, something is stirred up in us. And it's the desire for a wise and godly and strong and humble and loving leader. That desire stirs in us every time we go through these election cycles. And that is a good desire. Now, it's not a desire that will ever be satisfied in this world until Jesus Christ comes back. Okay, it's a desire that's there and is good, but we shouldn't expect too much from our human leaders. What that desire ultimately points to is King Jesus who is going to return. And finally, we will have that all-wise, all-loving, all-knowing, strong leader in the kingdom. So when Jesus first came, his first message was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the kingdom is never, it's never just given a definition in the scripture. You'll see Jesus through many parables saying, the kingdom's kind of like this. The kingdom's kind of like that. So we get little glimpses of it. But in this section, as he talks about the kingdom, I think we can be confident. What he has in mind is eternal life with God on the throne. Okay, it has to do with eternal life, a life beyond this, these kingdoms with a lowercase k. It has to do with eternal life with God experiencing his direct rule. So through our human governments, we experience God's sovereignty and God's rule. The Bible teaches that he puts uh, kings on their thrones. So through our human governments, we, in in a more of an indirect way, experience God's rule. In the consummated kingdom, when Jesus returns, we will experience God's direct rule. And in the meantime, the kingdom is already in effect. We as Christians are already, first and foremost, citizens of the kingdom of God. And then secondarily, citizens of the United States. Our main identity as citizens 
is as citizens of God's kingdom. God's rule is our primary authority. And then all human rule, reign and rule and authority is subservient to that. This is kind of the idea of the kingdom. As Christians, we're citizens of God's kingdom. We experience it somewhat now, and we'll experience it fully when Jesus returns. So when Jesus here says about these children, unto such as these belongs the kingdom, he's saying these are the kinds of people who become citizens of God's kingdom. These are the sorts of people. Now to become a U.S. citizen, you can either be born here or have a parent from here, or you can fill out a series of forms and uh, have something done called biometrics, which I don't really know what that is, and you go through an interview process. Uh, You have to take tests on English and civics and take an oath, and you can become a citizen of the United States of America. Citizens of the kingdom of God are like these children. The very next thing he says, he really drills down on this point. We can be confident that this is the main idea of this passage. In verse 15, Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So this is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of heaven, like these children coming to me. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does he mean by this? Does he mean that we have to act like kids? Does he mean that we should be louder, messier, less responsible, sillier? Remember, first of all, the context of this. He's not pointing to a modern-day American child. He's pointing to an ancient Jewish child. Now, in our culture, there, it varies how children are treated. Um, in their culture, it varied as well, but overall, I did some research on this. I'm not naturally any expert in ancient Jewish child-rearing, but I did some research from reliable sources, and here's what I found. They were socially equal to slaves. In terms of social capital, social standing, they were on a level with slaves. They were considered of small consequence. They had very little rights. They were not protected under many Jewish laws. And they were subject to many abuses. They were, in this regard, the epitome of lastness. Remember when Jesus was rebuking his disciples earlier in this whole section when they were arguing over who was the greatest? He says, stop trying to be first and instead try to be last and be servant of all. And then he pulled together a child and said, for example, receive people like this. In their day, that child was the personification of lastness. And he was saying, get behind and serve even the very last, the very least in society. And here he's using children again to teach about the kingdom. And he's saying, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like a lastling, does not enter it, shall not enter it. You don't enter the kingdom of God as a firstling. You only enter the kingdom of God as a lastling. 
not about childishness as our modern American sensibilities would think of it. It's about lastness. If you look at the broader passage here, you'll see that it's, it's bookmarked by two sections in which Jesus explains that he's going to die. His disciples argue over who's greatest. It begins that way, and the passage will end that way in a few weeks, uh, deeper into chapter 10. In both of those, Jesus' teaching about the kingdom is, stop trying to be first and be last. Stop trying to be first and be last. The kinds of people who enter the kingdom of God recognize their lastness and come to Jesus in that disposition. It reminds me of the Beatitudes. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the Beatitudes. Some may not be. It's not essential that you know what I'm talking about here, but I just wanted to point it out. If you look at the beginning, beginning of Matthew chapter 5, when he begins the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with this very poetic section called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the such and such, for they will be blessed in such and such a way. If you've ever noticed, there are bookmarks on that section. And it begins and it ends with those who will inherit the kingdom of God. And it's lastling sort of people. And all through it, that's the kind of people. Those who are poor in spirit, in other words, are those who recognize that spiritually they have nothing to bring to the table but need. And then at the end, it's those who are persecuted. These are the kinds of people who inherit the kingdom of God. These are the kinds of people who enter the kingdom of God. This is the disposition in which one is able to receive the kingdom of God. What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? First, it just means to receive it. Just notice the verb there, receive it. Don't earn it. You can't. Don't win it through performance. It's impossible. The only way to receive the kingdom of God is to receive the kingdom of God. To accept it as a free gift through Jesus Christ, like these children. Receive it as one with nothing to exchange for it. See, these kids came to Jesus and all they had was their dependence, their vulnerability, their poverty, which all culminated to receptivity. Now, when we come to Jesus with our wealth and our goodness and our accomplishments, we've just got too much in our hands to receive anything from him. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, there's sort of two applications I want to highlight. First is just a simple invitation to you to receive the kingdom of God. Receive God's rule through Jesus Christ like a child, like a lastling. You know, wherever you are, you may feel far away from God. You may have sin in your life and shame and guilt and regret. And you may feel as if there's uh, miles of hurdles that you have to clear in order to get from where you are into the embrace of God through Jesus Christ. And what I want to tell you from this passage is that's not true. You don't get to God through jumping hurdles or climbing mountains. Just turn, repent, turn toward him with the simplicity of these children. 
Because the only way you will receive it is when you come empty-handed. So there is no penance you have to do. You don't have to become a better or a better person or a different person in order to receive God's love and grace through Jesus Christ. You can pivot right where you are and turn from your sins and receive Jesus Christ. The second point of application has to do with us as disciples. Some of you may relate to these children. Others of you may relate mostly to these disciples here. Now, I, um, I've been praying about for our church. I've been praying for our church. and um, Last weekend was good to get away. I'd kind of gotten in the weeds of just the work of church ministry. And uh, sort of, it's, it's odd, it's hard to describe, but you can sort of forget what this is and what we're doing and what we have through Christ and just getting back some clarity about these things. And it occurred to me this whole notion of the fact that we're free now to make disciples. Like in Christ, we are free to devote ourselves to evangelism and discipleship. And I believe that we are doing that more and more and that we will continue to. And as we do, Lord willing, these efforts will be fruitful and we'll see people come to Christ. And they may be people that you work with who live on the other side of town, in which case they should probably join a church closer to them. But many of them should be people from our community. And and so our baptistry should be filled often as time goes on, Lord willing. I should be meeting with people about joining the church often as time goes on, Lord willing. As time goes on, we should not be able to meet any longer in one of these little classrooms for our prayer meeting because we'll have so many growing believers that want to pray on Sunday mornings. Our fellowship hall should begin to get crowded for Sunday school. We should start to have to think about, well, how are we going to, going to teach all these new believers? Our pews should begin to fill. You should begin to expect when you come in some newcomer sitting in your spot, and you should rejoice. This should be happening as time goes. I pray that it will. I hope that it will. But as it does, what sort of people should we expect? What sort of people should we expect to be receptive to our evangelistic efforts as individuals and as a church? What sort of people, as we envision this fruitful future, should we expect to be up there getting baptized? What sort of people should we expect to see standing beside me Wanting to, join our, wanting to join our church. What sort of people should you expect to see sitting in your spot as we get fruitful in evangelism? It's helpful to remember here that it's not the firstlings who are most receptive to the kingdom, it's the lastlings. It won't likely be the wealthy it will more likely be the poor. It won't likely be the social movers and shakers in our communities. It will more likely be the people on the margins. It won't likely be the people who feel that they have their lives all together and their financial picture is all ironed out and their career is going well and their family is intact. It will much more likely be the broken, the regretful, the screw-ups, the hurting, the struggling, 
the confused. It'll be the people who have nothing to bring to Jesus but their dependency and their vulnerability and their need. That's what we should expect, and that's what we should pray for and hope for. And all the while, unlike the disciples, realizing the lesson beneath the lesson, that that's who we are. We could very easily become like the disciples and think that because of our proximity to Jesus, we're at church every Sunday, that we're somehow first or most or better. And what Jesus is constantly challenging us with is, you are just as needy as this child. So it's not that you need to act like a lastling or act like a child. It's that you need to realize that you already are like that. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. They need a Savior. They need Jesus Christ. We are all in this together. And the only one who is good is Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. May we all experience verse 16 together, and may we eagerly invite other lastlings to come and experience it with us. And we'll close with verse 16. After he taught them this about the kingdom, it's such a warm, tender verse. And Jesus took them, referring to the children, Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you do not have admission requirements into your kingdom other than that we just simply trust in and follow Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that you accept people like me. And you know, you know my heart, you know all my deficiencies, you know my whole history. I'm so thankful that you accept people like me. I'm so thankful that you accept people like my brothers and sisters here. And Lord, I'm just so eager to proclaim this good news. And I pray that you would animate us as a church, that you would energize us and fill us with boldness and give us opportunity to go out into our communities and invite and gather as many children, as many lastlings as we can. And Lord, I I ask that you would make us fruitful, that our baptistry would be full. I pray that for all of our churches. Lord, please glorify your name in and through your people in this way and humble us and help us just to enjoy being embraced by you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.